Good morning. I'd like to call this hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee to order. Uh, I am Senator Coons of Delaware briefly. I'm sitting in for Senator Van Hollen, who is delayed due to traffic and will take over when he arrives. Uh, let me just broadly um, say how grateful I am to all four of the nominees uh, today for your willingness to continue serving our nation uh, in critical and important roles and places around the world, uh, in nations where uh, we need to strengthen our bilateral relations in critical roles at a moment of a great challenge, uh, a genuine humanitarian crisis in uh, Gaza and the Middle East, uh, and so many other humanitarian needs uh, in the Middle East region. Um, I'm going to briefly introduce Courtney O'Donnell, and then I believe Senator Van Hollen uh, will come and read the introduction of the other three nominees. That's what I was prepared for this morning. Um, but before I do so, I'll briefly turn to our ranking member, Senator Romney. I agree with what he said. I love it when that happens. Thank you, Senator Romney. Um, I am so proud to introduce uh, Courtney O'Donnell, uh, the nominee uh, to serve as our ambassador to UNESCO. Uh, I've dedicated a great deal of time to a multi-year effort to have the United States be able to rejoin UNESCO, which happened last year. Um, Courtney O'Donnell will serve as the U.S. permanent representative to UNESCO. I've known her uh, since she worked in the Obama-Biden administration. I am impressed by how effectively she advocates for policies that make the United States stronger abroad. Courtney's just the right person for this role with a genuine passion for education and cultural advancement and has held senior roles in two administrations in nonprofit and philanthropic organizations and the private sector. Uh, during the Obama administration, she worked with UNESCO to highlight America's community college and vocational institutions. As chief of staff to the second gentleman, she's been a leader on a range of national and global issues, including gender equity and helping launch the U.S. national strategy to combat anti-Semitism. As the mother of two wonderful and deeply loved teenage sons, Felix and Oliver, um, she fully grasps how critical it is for the United States to engage globally to ensure a better and more just future for all of our children. President Biden has recommitted to U.S. leadership at UNESCO, which requires someone who will work very closely with the committee, with this committee, to advance our national interests and counter uh, agendas of other nations. I, I am personally concerned about the PRC and its role in United Nations organizations and felt that in our absence, their influence at UNESCO and many other entities had steadily increased. And so I think it's particularly important we move quickly to confirm Ms. O'Donnell. If you will forgive me, um, I will briefly introduce our three other nominees. I am told that Senator Van Holland is on his way. Excuse me, Kamala Langdeer uh, has been Kamala Langdeer has been nominated to be ambassador to Indonesia, a career member of the Foreign Service. Um, she served previously as ambassador to Malaysia, as well as holding critical assignments uh, in China and Saudi Arabia and Northern Ireland. Uh, she has served as director of the Office of Maritime Southeast Asian Affairs, which included responsibility for our bilateral relations with Indonesia. Um, she has served as a Pearson Fellow, something I recommend to all senators to have a Pearson Fellow and to all members of the Foreign Service as a tremendous experience. She served on the House International Relations Committee, Foreign Relations Committee's Asia and Pacific Subcommittee, and on the House Financial Services Committee's International Monetary Policy and Trade Subcommittee, and was Deputy Coordinator of the Taiwan Coordination Staff in the Bureau of East Asian and Pacific Affairs. Um, Andrew Plitt is nominated to be USAID Assistant Administrator for the Middle East, a career member of the Foreign Service, the Senior Foreign Service. Mr. Plitt currently serves as AID's Senior Deputy Assistant Administrator for the Middle East. 
Just as important as his qualifications for this role, I am certain the senator from Maryland would want me to emphasize, he's from Maryland. His career has taken him to the West Bank and Gaza, Jordan, Morocco, Rwanda, Cote d'Ivoire, all important countries. He's served as Deputy Assistant Administrator for the Middle East, covering North Africa and Egypt, as Director of the Office of North African and Arabian Affairs in the Bureau of the Middle East, and Director of the Office of Strategic Planning and Operations. Last, Laura Stone is nominated to be Ambassador to the Marshall Islands, a career member of the Senior Foreign Service. She currently serves as Deputy Coordinator of the Secretary's Office of COVID Response and Health Security. Before that, she served as Deputy Assistant Secretary for India, Nepal, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Bhutan, and the Maldives. And most importantly, she's from Utah. <laughs> With these amazing qualified nominees, uh, it is my joy and honor to turn chairing of this hearing over to Senator Van Holland of Maryland. Uh, while the chairman switch, and I, I rarely disagree with uh, Senator Romney, she's actually born in New Jersey. <laughs> well, uh, first of all, Senator Coons, thank you uh, for stepping in and uh, apologize for running a little late. I was with another member of this committee, Senator Haggerty, over at the Asia Society uh, providing remarks this morning. Uh, and uh, as you probably heard already, Senator Romney and I have uh, agreed to forego those lengthy opening remarks uh, that are often uh, provided uh, here so that we can get to the, the testimony and then the questions. I, I do just want to add my word of congratulations uh, and thanks to all of you. Congratulations on your nominations. Uh, thank you all uh, for having served this country already in one capacity or another. And for those of you who are uh, Foreign Service officers, um, I come from a Foreign Service uh, family. Uh, we're grateful for your service and that of your family members. So I do want to acknowledge uh, all of them uh, as well. Um, if it's okay with my colleagues, we will just then turn it over uh, and we will begin. Uh, I think we will begin uh, our first witness uh, with um, Ambassador Lochter. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member Romney, and members of the committee, I'm honored to be here as President Biden's nominee to be the U.S. Ambassador to Indonesia. If confirmed, I will work closely with this committee to advance U.S. interests and strengthen our important partnership with Indonesia. Indonesia has come an incredibly long way since my first assignment in Jakarta from 1994 to 1996. The country now symbolizes the growing prosperity and stability at the heart of the Indo-Pacific. It is the world's third largest democracy, a G20 member, and a leader in ASEAN and APEC. On February 14th, yes, St. Valentine's Day, 204 million Indonesian vo voters will vote for president, vice president, and approximately 20,000 legislators. It is my hope that Indonesia will successfully carry out free and fair elections and continue to consolidate democratic institutions. This year, we celebrate the 75th anniversary of U.S.-Indonesia relations, and our progress is truly remarkable. In November, Presidents Biden and Widodo upgraded our ties to a comprehensive strategic partnership which launched numerous new initiatives, including enhanced cooperation on climate change, maritime security, health, semiconductors, and billions in private sector investments. Secretary of Defense Austin has signed a new defense cooperation arrangement with his Indonesian counterpart, expanding our role as Indonesia's largest defense engagement partner. 
I look forward to working closely with U.S. companies as they pursue high-quality investment opportunities and seek to expand trade. Indonesia's participation as a founding partner in the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework for Prosperity is an important step toward boosting our economic relations. Indonesia is home to a rapidly growing digital economy, and if confirmed, I will work to build a stronger platform for cyber and digital cooperation. Indonesia is a crucial partner in tackling the climate crisis, and if confirmed, I will deepen cooperation to reduce emissions and preserve Indonesia's rich biodiversity. Together with partners and stakeholders, we are working to transform Indonesia's power sector by investing in clean and renewable energy. If confirmed, I will work to enhance our long-standing cooperation on rule of law, counterterrorism, anti-corruption, and trafficking in persons. I will support Indonesian efforts to reinforce, reinforce interfaith harmony and to advance respect for human rights and fundamental freedoms. As 2023 ASEAN Chair, Indonesia played a constructive role in working to address the Burma crisis. If confirmed, I will work with my friend and colleague, Ambassador Johannes Abraham, to urge Indonesia's continued engagement on Burma. I deeply appreciate the opportunity to appear before you today, and I welcome your questions. I would also like to add, I welcome your visit to Indonesia if I am confirmed. Thank you for your testimony. Now let's go to Ms. O'Donnell. Chairman Van Hollen, Ranking Member Romney, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for the opportunity to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to serve as the United States repre Permanent Representative to UNESCO. I'm grateful to President Biden and Secretary of State Blinken for their confidence in me with this nomination. Thank you, Senator Coons, for your kind introduction and your strong leadership and support of UNESCO's mission. I would not be here today without the unconditional love and support of family and friends, near and far. While my father is no longer with us, he remains the strongest force in my life. I send my love to my mother, a retired teacher watching in St. Louis who continues to teach me daily, and, I, and my sons, Felix and Oliver, watching today before they head to school in California. Thank you to my sister and best friend, Kelly, who's here today, along with my cousin, Isabella, who comes with approval um, from her social studies teacher. To my husband, Cassidy, you are a constant source of strength. I grew up in a tight-knit family close to my grandmother, a social worker who worked with children with special needs, and my grandfather, who ran a Catholic charity and served as mayor of their small town. Their influence inspired my deep deep inspiration for public service. I love this country, and I've had the honor of serving in two senior roles in two different presidential administrations. In the office of then Second Lady Dr. Jill Biden, I led partnerships with UNESCO to promote America's community colleges globally. Most recently, in the office of Second Gentleman Douglas Emhoff, I worked to combat anti-Semitism, one of UNESCO's most urgent mandates. As President Biden has noted, the United States is stronger, safer, and more prosperous when we engage with the rest of the world, including American leadership and multilateral organizations. I'm fully aware 
that international institutions like UNESCO are far from perfect, but issues critical to our national security are being addressed there every day. And with our return to the body, our strongest presence is required. While many know UNESCO in association with their World Heritage Sites and efforts to preserve irreplaceable cultural treasures, the organization plays a role in many other areas impacting our daily lives and national security interests. From developing norms and standards for emerging technologies like AI and neurotechnology, protecting journalists doing vital work, leading scientific collaborations across nations, and expanding STEM education to women and girls, among others. If confirmed, I would advocate for America's foreign policy goals with a focus on three key areas and in very close collaboration with this committee. First, I would work to counter the influence of the PRC, Russia, and other authoritarian states and competitors. We know the PRC works with works through UN agencies, such as UNESCO, to undermine the interests of the United States and those of our allies and partners. If confirmed, I would rally those allies and seek additional partners to take aggressive positions to counter such activities. Second, I would work aggressively to combat anti-Semitism and counter anti-Israel bias. UNESCO is the only UN agency specifically charged with promoting Holocaust education efforts. In the wake of the October 7th Hamas terrorist attacks against Israel and the related rise of anti-Semitism worldwide, this work has never been more urgent. If confirmed, I would be proud to stand with our Israeli partners and allies. Third, one of my top priorities would be working to ensure that UNESCO is operating transparently efficiently and with the highest level of accountability. I sit here taking very responsibly the fact that US taxpayer dollars um, would be spent, are being spent to as part of our return to UNESCO. And I would take most seriously the opportunity to work with this committee to ensure that those dollars are spent wisely. Since my nomination, I've benefited from consultations with members of this with senators and the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and their staffs. Uh, I, I value highly the critical role that this body plays in the execution and oversight of our foreign policy. If confirmed, it would be the honor of a lifetime to serve, in this, to serve my country in this role, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you. <clears throat> and now, Mr. Plitt, and I want to thank Senator Coons for pointing out you come from the great state of Maryland, but Mr. Plitt. <clears throat> Thank you. Uh, Chairman Van Hollen, uh, Ranking Member Romney, and distinguished members of the committee, it is an honor to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee for the Assistant Administrator for the Bureau of the Middle East at U.S. Agency for International Development. I would like to thank the President, Vice President Harris, Secretary Blinken, and Administrator Power for their trust in my leadership especially during such a critical moment in the Middle East. As I appear before you today, I would be remiss not to acknowledge the unwavering love and steadfast support of my family, my mother, Anna Plitt, my accomplished spouse, Lena Lind, and my sons, Noah and Liam, who is here with me today. I'm immensely honored by the sacrifices they have made throughout my more than three decades of foreign service as a foreign service officer serving across multiple continents. 
I have spent my career representing the United States abroad in some of the most complex and demanding environments, with the majority of that time covering the Middle East. My experience has given me a deep appreciation for how vital development and humanitarian assistance are to advance our country's national security objectives. Even before the heinous attacks perpetrated by Hamas against Israel on October 7th and the continuing conflict in Gaza, the region faced significant challenges. Russia's unprovoked war against Ukraine aggravated tenuous food security across the region as the cost of wheat imports skyrocketed. Meanwhile, the increasing frequency of droughts and water shortages led to poor domestic harvests, further straining fragile economies. Last year alone, the region endured crippling natural disasters, such as the devastating earthquakes in Syria and Morocco and the floods in Libya. Governance and economic mismanagement, such as we see in Lebanon and Tunisia, place fragile economies at risk of collapse. Across the region, rising authoritarianism, corruption, and terrorism were already threatening the region's prospect for peace. Now more than ever, it is imperative that the United States remain committed to helping people of the Middle East and North Africa. As we help families find viable pathways to peaceful and secure livelihoods, we help them build a future in which terrorist organizations like Hamas find no quarter. The continuing conflict in Gaza, growing Houthi threats, in the Red Sea and violence perpetrated by Hezbollah underscore the importance of leading with American values as these and other Iranian-aligned militia groups attempt to further inflame regional tensions. Last week, I visited our staff in Israel, where I saw firsthand our team's tireless efforts not only to increase the amount of assistance reaching Palestinian civilians in Gaza, but also the meticulous planning they undertake in cooperation with Israeli government counterparts. The exhaustive efforts of our team to safeguard our assistance and facilitate its delivery to civilians caught in this conflict not only demonstrates American goodwill, but it also secures American interests. I recognize the need is immense, and we are working every day to do more. I've been privileged to work across the Middle East and North Africa region for many years. I've witnessed up close the significant impact of USAID assistance efforts, including in Syria, where we've helped partners reach 5 million people in need of emergency health services, and in Libya, where USAID technical assistance to the General Electricity Company has succeeded to unify and strengthen the eastern and western power grids, leading to more than a 60% increase in power supply in just two years. We are at an inflection point where our engagements will shape not only the region, but our, uh, but, but, but we will shape uh, the, the world for generations to come. If confirmed, I pledge to work closely with the committee and Congress to advance our foreign policy objectives through our development efforts. I commit to working with the administrator, the State Department, and Congress to ensure USAID is well prepared to respond not only to the impacts of the ongoing conflict in Gaza, but also to broader events across the region where there are challenges and opportunities to advance American values. I will ensure that USAID effectively manages the resources Congress allocates and take decisive, proactive steps to safeguard those resources against diversion. I have long appreciated the bipartisan support for USAID's work in the Middle East. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and others in Congress to continue to secure and advance U.S. interests. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to your questions. Uh, thank you, uh, Ms. Stone of Utah. 
Thank you, Chairman Van Hollen, Ranking Member Romney, members of the committee, good morning. Uh, I'm honored to appear before you as the President's nominee for U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of the Marshall Islands. I want to extend a special thank you to Senator Romney. Utah is my family's home and was a special place for my kids to return to every year throughout their nomadic Foreign Service childhoods. Uh, I'd like to start by extending a heartfelt concern to the people of the Marshall Islands, a nation of sprawling, low-lying atolls over the recent impact of the high seas and waves. Uh, I'm grateful for the confidence shown by the President and Secretary Blinken in nominating me. I spent my 31-year career advancing U.S. interests in the Indo-Pacific, including 17 years in the region. If confirmed, I look forward to working with Congress to reinforce ties with the Republic of the Marshall Islands, one of our most strategically important and steadfast partners in the Pacific. I'd like to take a moment to thank my family, who supported me in my life and career, my parents, who gave me a profound curiosity about the world around me and a desire to make the world a better place. My husband, Mark, who's been a true partner and soulmate in this adventurous life and has made me a better person and a better public service. My sister, Nikki, her um, and her family have shown me what it means to stick my neck out and sore. And my kids, Sarah, a college student in Louisiana, and Rachel, who joins me today, who provided constant, thoughtful inspiration and meaning to my work. Finally, although there are too many to name, I want to thank my many friends and colleagues who provided guidance and support. My world has been enriched and blessed by all of you. I've spent a lifetime preparing for the challenges we now face in the Pacific. I've worked with partners like Taiwan, Japan, Thailand, India, Mongolia, and Vietnam, but I've also spent years working to understand the tactics and motivations of the PRC, identified by the recent national security strategies as our most serious developing competitor and most consequential geopolitical challenge. Building on our national security strategies, Indo-Pacific strategies, and Pacific partnership, we have a path forward that I believe in and in which our approach to the Marshall Islands can safely nest. We must counter the PRC's advances by reinforcing our relationships with our allies and partners to include a focus on deepening ties with Pacific Island countries. And while the People's Republic of China's provocative actions span the globe, they are most acute in the Pacific. I'm excited about the prospect, if confirmed, of working with our partners in the Marshall Islands. This month, the Marshall Islands re-elected Dr. Hilda Heine as, to a second term, championing gender equality. I hope to continue to forge strong bonds with the Marshall East to find opportunities for women's economic empowerment and combating human trafficking and gender-based violence. The astonishing videos out of Kwajalein Atoll this week demonstrated the threat to the Marshall Islands posed by rising seawaters. If confirmed, I would enhance bilateral cooperation on resilience to sea level rise and harness U.S. expertise to support Marshallese partners. I feel we can implement strategies to help protect the people of the Marshall Islands and our strategic facilities. While the October 16th signing of COFA, with the October 16th signing of COFA-related agreements, I'm excited to be at the forefront of implementation if confirmed. These agreements signify the strength of our enduring partnership and underline our shared commitment to mutual prosperity. Together, we can enhance economic development and advance the well-being of the people of the Marshall Islands. If confirmed, I aim to promote the ability of Marshallese veterans who have served in the United States Armed Forces to receive health care and veterans benefits that they deserve by streamlining and enhancing access to health care services. Our veterans deserve nothing less than the best medical care and support. As we pursue these policies, if confirmed, I'm excited to work with colleagues in U.S. law enforcement, the military, interior, and others throughout the interagency. 
I have the deepest respect for the skills, perspective, and expertise of our interagency partners and recognize the need for coordination and collaboration to find the best outcomes. As the greatest of nations, our people and our principles are our greatest strength. Thank you again for your consideration and the opportunity to appear before you today. I look forward to your questions and comments. Thank you. Thank all of you for your opening uh, statements and testimony. And uh, now we'll have a series of questions, uh, five minutes each, and I will begin. Uh, Ambassador Lockdeer, again, congratulations uh, on this uh, nomination. Uh, I visited uh, Indonesia in April of last year, um, a trip that also took uh, took us to Vietnam. Uh, and as you indicated, there are a whole breadth of important uh, issues uh, that between the United States uh, and Indonesia, um, including the central role and important role they play within ASEAN. Uh, I was pleased to team up with Senator Romney. Among the many items in the NDAA was an authorization to create an ASEAN center here in Washington and the United States uh, to help. Uh, and uh, as you know, uh, Indonesia is rich in, in nickel, especially, uh, but they're also working on the processing side, not just the mining side. Could you talk a little bit more about um, U.S. efforts? And I know this was a part of the conversation that President Biden uh, had with President uh, Widodo uh, in terms of how Indonesia can be a constructive and positive player uh, in terms of the clean energy transition, um, help the United States um, reduce our reliance on China, uh, both for, for, for processing and how that can also be of great benefit to the people of Indonesia, if you could just speak to that. Thank you, Senator. Um, I am aware um, and I understand that there has been very frank and direct conversations with, with Indonesian government uh, about the clean energy transition and also uh, critical minerals mining and processing. Um, as part of the joint statement that came out of the the president's meeting in, in November, there was a commitment to uh, working together on environmental concerns, labor concerns, safety concerns related to the mining sector and mining processing center. I'm also aware that there is engagement with private, U.S. private sector industry on uh, how they can um, contribute and invest in uh, Indonesia and bring their high-quality labor, safety, and environmental standards to the industry. Uh, this is, as you correctly said, uh, very important both for Indonesian people's uh, livelihoods, environment, and also for the issue of climate change and reducing emissions. If I'm confirmed, I am committed to working across this range of issues um, and also being very clear-eyed with both our U.S. companies and with Indonesian counterparts on the efforts that have to be made across a series of uh, different sectors. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, Mr. Mr. Plitt, um, again, congratulations on your, your nomination. You covered a lot of territory in your uh, opening statement. Um, I do want to state with respect to the situation in Gaza, we have an absolute humanitarian disaster uh, on our hands uh, in Gaza. I, I want to thank Senator Coons, uh, who held a appropriations uh, foreign ops subcommittee hearing, closed hearing, classified hearing uh, the other day. Thank you, Senator Coons, uh, for that. Um, and in my view, we need a lot more cooperation from a lot of players in the region, including 
the Netanyahu government in terms of opening more crossings like the Aretz Crossing and other areas. I, I just do want to read for the record here um, a statement I received from Ambassador Satterfield, uh, who is our humanitarian uh, aid coordinator uh, uh, selected by the president. And I'm quoting him here now because there have been um, uh, allegations made about diversion of UN provided uh, and international NGO provided uh, humanitarian aid to Hamas. So I want to read his statement, which categorically uh, rejects that claim. Quote, to date, I have not received any allegations, evidence, or reports of any incidents of Hamas diversion or theft of U.S. or other assistance or fuel from U.N. delivered assistance from any of our partners or from the government of Israel since humanitarian assistance resumed in Gaza October 21st. Uh, he goes on to say that there are other, maybe other sources that are also going through inspection checkpoints. He can't vouch 100% for those, but this, uh, I just think it's important since there has been a lot of misinformation about that. Another place we visited was Jordan um, and lots of issues regarding water because, as you know, Jordan um, has very little water. Could you talk to some of AID's efforts uh, in Jordan with respect to water? Yes, thank you, Senator. With respect to uh, uh, Jordan, who is the the recipient of the largest uh, USAID program in the region, uh, much of that investment is in the water sector. Uh, Jordan only is able to meet roughly uh, 60% of its water needs. It has water purchases. It makes through uh, an agreement with Israel, and we are working with them uh, to help fund a national conveyance project, which will have uh, desalination down in Aqaba and bring water up towards Amman, where the vast majority of the population lives and where there are great needs. So uh, over the course of the next few years, there is a solicitation out, uh, and U USAID, along with the Development Finance Corporation, will play a big part in ensuring that its success and that there are investments in the infrastructure needed to ensure waters, uh, the water security of the Kingdom of Jordan. Thank you. And I just want to note we've been joined uh, by uh, my friend and colleague from Maryland, but most importantly, uh, the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations uh, Committee, Senator Cardin. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Senator Romney. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Plitt, uh, as I understand it, uh, a great proportion of the aid which is provided by USAID uh, is provided to the UN, which then uh, furthers uh, uh, the, the support for uh, various entities throughout the Middle East. Is that is that a fair assessment? I would say a large portion is particularly on the humanitarian assistance front where we have a strong partner in the World Food Program. Why why do we not provide that directly as opposed to using the, the UN? And, and the reason I say that is because obviously there are uh, other forces in the UN that are not necessarily aligned with our interests. Uh, and providing funding to the UN to, uh, to provide humanitarian uh, resources uh, suggests the opportunity for that to be um, not necessarily diverted, but perhaps not as carefully watched and, and as carefully attributed to the United States uh, if if we send money to the UN and then out goes you know UN packaging that says here this is given to you by the UN it's like wait why don't we just send it directly from ourselves why why do we use the UN as the vehicle for providing humanitarian aid uh, in the Middle East? 
Yeah, thank you, Senator. Uh, I believe the, the principal reason why we, we do channel much of our humanitarian assistance uh, to the UN uh, is because they are present on the ground in a lot of these places which are non-permissive, and they've had a long presence, and in, certainly in the case of the World Food Program, uh, they have the most extensive reach in terms of ensuring the food security uh, to the populations. Places like Yemen, uh, two-thirds of the population is dependent on humanitarian aid. Uh, it is very difficult to work in that environment with, uh, with the behavior of the Houthis, uh, and the UN is, is present on the ground. We are cognizant of the need to brand our aid and ensure that the U.S., the American people get credit for that aid. And so we do that as much as possible, both through the UN and through our international NGO partners that we have who work alongside the UN in these difficult environments. Yeah, I'm thinking about, for instance, in, in Gaza, uh, the, the chairman read a statement indicating uh, from USAID that, hey, there, there haven't been resources diverted to go to, to Hamas. Uh, at the same time, uh, the people of Gaza support uh, Hamas voted for Hamas. It's their their government, if you will, and that's been their choice to have Hamas. If if the UN provides food to all the people in in Gaza, that would include not just those that voted for Hamas, but also Hamas fighters. I mean, Hamas fighters are going to eat as well, and and I'm sure the UN doesn't say, okay, here you get in line here, but anyone from Hamas you can't eat. I mean, uh, so it doesn't have to have diversion for there to be, uh, if you will, uh, USAID through UN uh, providing f uh, food and other assistance, medicines and so forth to members of Hamas. Is that right? Uh, I think I would respond to that by advising that, uh, you know, there are 2.2 million uh, Palestinians in Gaza who are desperate. Uh, uh, I would reemphasize uh, uh, Special Envoy's Setterfields uh, is that we don't have uh, any indication that our aid through the UN has been diverted. I mean, I don't think we can make any guarantees with 2.2 million people that, you know, a member of Hamas doesn't get a sandwich here and there. But the desperation that exists, the food security situation that exists, uh, requires that we work with uh, vetted partners and those on the ground to ensure that the needs of desperate civilians are met. Uh, Ms. O'Donnell, the same sort of uh, concern that I'd, I'd raised with, uh, with history at UNESCO, it's uh, obviously been uh, seen as being anti-Semitic in the past. Uh, and uh, and we have withdrawn from UNESCO. Uh, President Biden uh, reestablished relations with with UNESCO. Uh, you said that you would combat the anti-Semitism uh, that uh, that has been consistently uh, uh, part of UNESCO's history. How do you combat that? Uh, isn't the best way to combat it to basically say we're not going to participate, we're not going to provide funding to UNESCO, we're not going to be uh, supportive of, of an anti-Semitic, uh, anti-Israeli uh, oriented, oriented organization? Thank you for the question, Senator Romney. Um, and I, I fully believe, like our president, that multilateralism institute, you just referenced some of the flaws and concerns with the UN system. I sit here today, eyes wide open to those flaws. And I think it's even more important that we have our seat at the table to represent not just the interests of the US, but those of our allies and partners. And I do think we know what happens when the US leaves the stage. And it's, it's, in, it's incredibly 
critical that we be there. And I think, how do we do that? We do that by partnering with the like-minded member states who are part of the UNESCO and and being a part of coalition building to, to bring others on um, to this case. And I think I will bring, if confirmed to this role, my experience having worked on the first ever national strategy to combat anti-Semitism that we rolled out as part of the administration with second gentleman Douglas Emhoff. And I will bring a conviction to ensure that anti-Israel bias in all of its forms um, is warded against. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, um, forgive me. I just want to submit something for the record. I actually associate myself with pretty much a lot of the line of questioning. I just want to correct for one thing uh, and, and submit an article from U.S. News World Report. The average age in, in Gaza is about 18 years old, 40% uh, of the population 14 or under. There's only probably about 8 or 9% of that population that actually voted in that 2006 election. So to say that the people of Gaza voted for Hamas, just for the num sheer numbers, I I'd like to just submit an article to that point. Without objection. Thank you, Senator Booker. Senator Coons. Um, thank you, Senator Van Hollen. Senator Romney, thank you to all of our nominees. Uh, Ms. O'Donnell, if I might just follow up with the line of questioning that Senator Romney was just on. Um, our last ambassador um, to UNESCO, a lifelong friend of mine, a Delawarean, um, engaged with me regularly about what were the drivers and the reasons why we left UNESCO over several years of uh, observing what happened in our absence uh, and engaging with the new DG, uh, Azoulay. Um, I became convinced that in our absence, some of the very good work that you will be doing and that the United States does through UNESCO diminished, and the increased reach and force of folks who have competing interests um, was ascendant. So talk, if you would, briefly about the distinction between our concerns about anti-Israel bias within UNESCO, Senator Romney addressed, and the critical Holocaust education and um, work combating anti-Semitism that UNESCO does globally, that if we are not present, is not funded and driven as effectively. Thank you for the question, Senator Coons. And I, I do want to take this um, chance to reiterate that in our absence, um, the menu did change um, at UNESCO, and we need to be forthright um, and it makes all the more reason that we be back. I think we have seen time and time again, um, we have seen time and time again the need, what happens when the U.S. is absent from the forum. And in my work with um, the Obama-Biden administration. Your work on the national strategy on combating anti-Semitism prepares you well for a role where you will be advocating for a stronger and broader role in Holocaust education, in combating Holocaust denial, and in combating anti-Semitism at exactly the moment when anti-Semitism is on the rise, not just throughout Europe or the Middle East, but globally. How important is it to you to play a role in advocating for these core values from the United States? Yes. Um, I sit here today proud to be um, an American and the incredible opportunity and and um, the need to continue to advance those goals. Um, I have been a part, as you said, in my work with the second gentleman, Douglas Emhoff, and prior, I've spent, um, I've visited the, um, I've visited 
communities that have been hit by the scourge and felt the worst impact of what anti-Semitism can bring and sat with those families and um, been, been with them. And I know that with the work of our partnerships with we with allies and like-minded partners, we will be able to bring um, more opportunity to. The, Many members to the, may be unfamiliar with the breadth of what UNESCO does. Um, so I understand if they don't grasp that in addition to World Heritage sites, um, it has a central role in education, in setting standards for education and for educational research in science, as well as in cultural issues uh, like core values uh, I look forward to supporting your nomination. I'm grateful uh, for your willingness to step forward and serve. It will not be easy, uh, but there are several UN entities that we, from which we withdrew. And in our absence, the PRC and others with interests um, antithetical to ours have advanced. Thank you, Senator. Mr. Plitt, if I might briefly, um, as Assistant Administrator responsible for the Middle East, um, you'll have a central role in ensuring not just that we deliver critical humanitarian assistance to the ongoing humanitarian crisis in Gaza and in other countries throughout the region, like Lebanon and Jordan and Egypt, but developing, um, helping um, these communities and nations develop um, outside of the current or after the current crisis. What do you view as the most critical needs and opportunities for the longer term in development in the region? Uh, thank you, Senator Coons. Uh, I think for a long time, uh, one of the biggest problems in the region has been uh, in the realm of governance. Um, Freedom House still in, in their latest uh, Freedom Index shows the Middle East region, Middle East and North Africa region as the, the least free in the world. And a lot of that has to do with governance. Uh, so we are increasing our investments uh, in civil society to try to hold governments accountable and and in in certain key countries where we have a good cooperation with the government we work on anti-corruption measures to address uh to address the issues of governance I, I know you're not in the role yet but do you have a view on what are the most pressing things we could do to accelerate and improve the delivery of critical humanitarian aid into gaza Yes, uh, as you know, Special Envoy Satterfield is in the lead on this, and uh, one of his deputies is our very own uh, from USAID, and we are working on a multi-pronged approach to address the inefficiencies that currently exist, uh, working closely with Israel and the government of Egypt, uh, looking at things like opening up more quarters of assistance to get into Gaza, to increase the efficiencies of the inspection regimes at Nitsana and at Karim Shalom, uh, looking at what we can do to grow the, uh, the volume of assistance that we're bringing in uh, through a, a, a budding humanitarian hub in Jordan, uh, and eventually, and, and what we need to press hard for, is commercial access because humanitarian assistance alone cannot maintain 2.2 million people uh, living at a reasonable standard. Thank you. We look forward to staying in regular touch with you um, as you advance into this role. Thank you to all four of the nominees uh, and for your decades of dedication to representing the United States around the world in challenging environments. Um, you have important roles. I look forward to supporting your nominations. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Kuhn. Senator Ricketts. <clears throat> 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. And I would add my thanks to Senator Coons for all your work to uh, promote the United States around the world and your dedication to our country and your sacrifices you make being away from your friends and family as you serve. So thank you. Uh, I'm going to hit upon a same theme that you've heard upon already with regard to the UN and the anti-Israel bias. Last year, the UN passed twice as many anti-Israel resolutions as all other countries combined. All other countries combined, twice as many against Israel. And it's no secret that UNESCO had as a long history of anti-Israel bias as well, um, granted, uh, starting with when they granted the membership to Palestine. And uh, we've covered already that the Biden administration is rejoining UNESCO to counter the malign influence of the PRC. However, the anti-Israel bias still remains. Uh, since October 7th, UNESCO has routinely criticized Israel's war against Hamas, often with little or no context to the October 7th attacks in which Hamas killed 1,200 Israelis and took 240 hostages. Specifically, UNESCO has routinely criticized Israeli targeting of educational establishments in Gaza despite Hamas's clear use of many civilian sites for military purposes. These public omissions leave out critical context and undermine support for our ally Israel. So, Ms. O'Donnell, I, I was gratified to hear you talk about, in your opening remarks, how you were going to push back against the anti-Israel and anti-Semitic uh, biases in U UNESCO. Uh, if confirmed, then I presume you're gonna, you'll, uh, uh, you'll encourage UNESCO to condemn Hamas's targeting and indiscriminate attacks on the state of Israel. Is that accurate? Thank you, Senator, for the question, and thank you for the opportunity for me to readdress this issue. Uh, this is a forum in which um, it's my, I am not, um, this is my first time in a forum like this, and I don't want um, my initial nerves around coming. I have deep respect for this body and deep respect for these issues, and I want to be crystal clear, as I stated in my opening remarks, I would do everything within the power of the position. I would not hesitate to speak up. I would work with allies. I share the deep and grave concerns about the ways that this bias is reflected, whether it's with resolutions um, that really come and indiscriminately um, attack Israel. We, with um, other ways that we see it, in all of its forms, it is unjust. And I have, I bring with me the absolute, not just promised, but passion to be an effective ambassador for U.S. national security interests. And we are not successful if that does not include standing with Israel as a partner and standing with allies. And I sit here yeah. Um, yeah. with great I did not pride that. that I come with the support of the World Jewish Jewish Congress and the American Jewish Council and other Jewish groups to represent and speak for them. So thank you for the question. Thank you for the chance to address it. And as I, as I said, this would be one of my top priorities, working in close consultation with this committee, if confirmed. Do you have some specific ideas on how you can work with UNESCO's failure to condemn Hamas's use of educational and cultural sites for, as launching pads? for attacks on Israel? Are there some specific ideas on things that, on, that you can do to be able to raise this issue and get UNESCO to condemn Hamas misusing these civilian sites? 
thank you, Senator, for the question again. I uh, share the concern that, and the disgust for the ways sometimes uh, those inscription of heritage sites are used to erase um, the true um, national tie and tied from to Israel. Um, and I, I think, as I said before, and Senator Kuntz has mentioned, it's about being in the room. It's about taking back that microphone. And it's about not just talking to our allies, but it's about talking to those who are uncertain and being forceful um, and, and defending the interests of Israel. I think if confirmed, I take very seriously the role I would need to play and I do that actively to advance these policies and to really look out for any action across any of UNESCO's mandate of activities that would be counter our interests or those of our allies and strategic partners. Great, thank you very much. I'm just about, about out of time, but I will just emphasize again, when we've seen some United Nations agencies like the United Nations Relief and Works Agency that are involved in educational uh, missions in Gaza, we have seen that they have produced textbooks and have teachers that are promoting anti-Semitic, anti-Israel ideas. And it's absolutely critical that you take the leadership role in UNESCO to make sure that anything that's going to uh, uh, Gaza, anything that we are doing in there with regard to cultural or education does not have that sort of anti-Semitic, anti-Israel content. Thank you, Senator Ricketts, for raising that, the textbook example. And I think what you raise is exactly what, if confirmed, I would be charged to do is to essentially, you know, be diligent about every way that we all know that hate and bias shows its ugly head in so many different ways, be it textbooks, be it heritage sites, be it resolutions and it, there's no place for that in this world, and there's no place for that um, when representing the United States of America. And so I, I firmly commit to that and look forward to working with you and members of this committee on that. Great. Thank you, Ms. O'Donnell. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, thank you, Senator Ricketts. Um, and we have two letters uh, in support of Ms. O'Donnell, um, one from the American Jewish Com Committee, the other from the World Jewish Congress. Uh, I ask unanimous consent that they both be placed in the record without objection. Senator Booker. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, too, want to express my gratitude to Senator Coons for holding a constructive uh, classified meeting around the issues around humanitarian aid. I really would like to uh, pick up with you, um, uh, uh, Mr. Flitt, um, because I just have really grave concerns. Absent, obviously, a classified setting, there's been public reports uh, that there is uh, efforts going on to get a negotiated pause uh, in the fighting around the hostages, which is encouraging to me what's been reported publicly. Um, but the, the gravity of the humanitarian crisis, the, the sheer uh, enormity of the suffering of uh, uh, residents of Gaza, the amputations and C-sections and procedures going on without anesthesia, uh, the uh, near pandemic, uh, the near uh, uh, famine levels of starvation, uh, the challenges now uh, with uh, dysentery and more, uh, it, it is it is simply uh, stunning and unconscionable, uh, the level of misery and suffering amongst innocent people. And, and it makes me, number one, just constantly be concerned if we are doing everything we can uh, simply to help with the humanitarian efforts. I, I am fully in accord with the region, and I've had direct conversations with Sisi in Egypt, with 
uh, MBS in Saudi Arabia, everyone knows of the urgency to degrade or destroy Hamas and their uh, and the other Iranian proxies that are doing so much to upend uh, peace, to upend uh, 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 what Hamas clearly does not want, which is two nations living side by side. But right now, the urgency, the fierce urgency of now. Um, in addition to uh, ending uh, uh, the, the terrorism that has plagued the region and undermined peace, uh, is to deal with this humanitarian crisis. And so I, I just want to um, sort of ask you whether it's opening the Erez crossing, expanding the hours and resources used for inspection of humanitarian aid and trucks, uh, increasing um, uh, efforts to create uh, zones of deconfliction. Um, can we be doing more as a nation uh, to bring about uh, a, a, a um, appropriate response to the, the crisis of human suffering in Gaza? Uh, thank you, Senator Booker. Uh, I know it is heart-wrenching. It is hard to look at the reports that we keep getting out of Gaza with regards to what uh, the civilians are enduring, uh, the harm to civilians, the 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 protection of civilian issue is critical, and as well as the access issue. I know we are, through um, Special Envoy Satterfield, pushing to look what more we can do to open additional crossings. There's been damages uh, through the conflict. It remains dramatically and probably the most complex uh, crisis that I've seen in my career uh, just because of the trauma that was suffered by Israel uh, from October 7th, uh, and, and also the tactics that Hamas is using that places people in danger as the, as, as the IDF goes after, uh, Hamas to, you know, eliminate them and to, and to create conditions. I, I guess if I can interrupt, because clearly, um, Hamas has violated un unbelievable international rules of conflict using hospitals and schools. Uh, making the military operation extraordinarily complex and difficult. And I'm not in any way diminishing the impossible challenges that you have uh, when, uh, when a ceasefire is broken on October 6th, uh, going into October 7th, and then the enemy does horrific things, unimaginable violence that I've now witnessed to the degree the most public has not and through video, and then retreats and embeds themselves uh, around civilian populations, it, it is it is deplorable. And yet, I, I know our history as a nation, from the Berlin airlift to the extraordinary efforts going on today, or uh, more, more recently, like the ability to get resources into Haiti amidst an unstable, uh, dangerous environment. I just would imagine, and maybe this goes to a little bit to, I think, Senator Romney's uh, important line of questioning, is what, the U.S. has the assets and the ability to get resources there, uh, that don't endanger or undermine just simply anesthesia um, into that into that uh, uh, theater. Why aren't we, as a country, perhaps going around the complicated challenges we're seeing, or the lack of will for opening up uh, arteries of support? Why aren't we doing more direct? And, and shouldn't that be considered as an option? My understanding is that when uh, Special Envoy Satterfield runs into, um, you know, issues pushing uh, for greater access. Those, 
those uh, those issues are raised to a higher level. I think at the beginning of the conflict, uh, our administrator, Samantha Power, uh, she referred to President Biden as our humanitarian desk officer uh, to work with the prime minister of Israel to push things through, which has unlocked access. Uh, it has been a back and forth uh, and we, where we've seen progress and we've lost progress just because of the, the complexity of the conflict. Uh, but I, I have confidence in the work of uh, Special Envoy Satterfield. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my time. I'm over my time. But I just want to say this clearly. I support uh, Israel's uh, efforts to defend itself, to end this lurching into cycles of unimaginable violence in the region. Before October 7th, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and others we're putting, principally putting uh, the Palestinian people at the center of a effort to normalize relations. We were on the pathway in my lifetime towards a peace process uh, that was more promising than ever, and Hamas upended that, and that will continually be their intention. Even now, they're still firing rockets. Even now, they're still saying we will regroup and do another October 7th. So I support Israel's efforts uh, to destroy or degrade Hamas. That said, I do believe that this is a Schindler's List-like moment when five years from now we will look back and say, could we not have done more to save innocent lives, to end unimaginable misery? And I believe we could be doing more and we must. And the frustration I hear from folks on both sides of the aisle about our ability to work with an administration in Israel that has a military operation uh, uh, that, um, again, I, I just spoke to, uh, but are they doing everything they should be doing to ease the flow of humanitarian aid that is not being undermined uh, and used or assaulted by terrorism, as our ambassador has said? So this is my frustration, and I'm hoping and I'm looking forward to voting and supporting you, but I'm hoping that this sense of urgency that every hour um, there are things going on that I believe we could be doing more to stop from happening. Thank you for the generosity. Thank you, Senator Booker. Um, I am now going to turn the hearing over to the chair of the full committee, uh, Senator Cardin. First, if I might, before recognizing Senator Duckworth, uh, express my thanks to Senator Van Hollen and, and Senator Romney. And, and let me explain. One of my top priorities as chairman of this committee is to act on the nominees that require Senate confirmation. That requires us to have the hearings like we're having today, and it's not easy to get hearings scheduled in our in our um, calendars. Uh, this committee has broad jurisdiction. There's a lot of work that we have to do. And we call upon our members in order to be able to conduct these confirmation hearings. You know, Senator Van Hollen and Senator Romney have been troopers in uh, allowing us to have these hearings so that we can move these nominations forward. I just really want the committee to know and our nominees to know that how much we appreciate the two of them in conducting this hearing. I also want to thank all four of our nominees for their public service and their willingness to continue in public service. Uh, we know these are challenging times, and we thank you very much for your commitment. And then lastly, before I recognize Senator Duckworth, I want to express as chairman of this committee our deep condolences on the loss of Bobby Barrasso, the spouse of one of our members, uh, Senator Barrasso. Uh, she passed away this morning. Uh, we know it's been a long illness. Uh, but we wanted Senator Brasso to know and the Brasso family that they're in our thoughts and prayers uh, as they go through this difficult time. Senator Duckworth. 
Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I just want to start off by associating myself with Senator Booker's remarks. Um, uh, I absolutely uphold Israel's right to defend herself. And uh, I agree with him that Hamas has said that they are dedicated to the destruction of Israel, our greatest ally in the Middle East. Um, uh, but I, too, am deeply, deeply appalled by the suffering that is occurring in Gaza. And I do feel that we here in this August, buddy, can and should do more. Uh, with that, uh, I'd like to begin um, with Ambassador Lahdir. Salamat datang. Welcome. Um, it is good to see you again. Uh, as you know, improving our relationships with our allies and partners in Southeast Asia is extremely important to me, both personally, um, but also because I understand how critical the region is to our national security. When I visited Jakarta last August, I learned firsthand about how much we've been able to accomplish with Indonesia just in the last year. Um, elevating the strategic partnership achieved by the Obama administration in 2016 to a comprehensive strategic partnership, that is a great uh, um, uh, achievement. We've signed a new five-year Millennium Challenge Corporation Compact that's focused on improving financial, financing infra infrastructure projects, and we are continuing to deepen our security cooperation. For example, with our B-52s landing in Indonesia in the, for the very first time as um, part of COPE West. Um, Ambassador, as both Indonesia and the United States hold consequential national elections this year, and you've alluded to this already, how can we ensure that no matter the changes in domestic politics, we as a nation will remain a reliable partner committed to a free, open, and prosperous Indo-Pacific? Thank you very much, Senator. Um, I think and, um, I think for us, the United States, we have a longstanding strategic partnership with Indonesia, and it crosses uh, all of government, all of the parties. It also crosses through civil society, private sector, uh, the media. There, it's so comprehensive that while there will be change uh, due to the elections, we there will certainly be a new president. Exactly who that will be, we we don't know. Um, but I think the um, strategic partnerships we built across uh, Indonesian society and government will be the foundation for our relationship with the new government uh, and new members of parliament. So I think in all those areas that you highlighted and some of them I highlighted in my opening remarks, I think Indonesians are seeking our partnership, seeking our uh, support to move forward into uh, a more prosperous and democratic future. So I'm very optimistic, and if I'm confirmed, I hope to work on all these areas uh, with the support of this committee, and particularly with the support of yourself. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and if confirmed, will you continue to prioritize maritime security partnerships um, with Indonesia, especially um, our, our naval and Coast Guard capabilities in the region? Yes. Thank you. Are you back, Mr. Chairman? Senator Shaheen. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and congratulations to each of our nominees today, and thank you for your willingness to continue to serve this country. Um, Ambassador Lakdir, Indonesia has made real progress on women's rights and empowerment, but as we know, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, can you talk about what more you can do in your once confirmed in your role as ambassador and what the United States can do to promote women's leadership throughout Indonesia and Southeast Asia, um, including through ASEAN, which now has a women, peace and security plan, which is very exciting. Thank you, Senator. So, and um, 
thinking about this. So I think the MCC2 compact has a specific uh, pillar, I don't know if that's the correct term, focused on women and women's economic um, empowerment. I am very aware that USAID has also uh, focused a lot of uh, their efforts on maternal health, uh, HIV, AIDS, uh, health uh, that affect women and children. Um, I also know the embassy has, and through my own experience in Malaysia, focused through exchange programs, through YSEALI, uh, through um, entrepreneurship for uh, women, STEAM for girls and women in terms of the educational sector, on giving greater education and opportunities for women. I think the other, Malaysia has a very large youth population. Uh, one of the statistics is in, that is interesting is the number of Indonesian women in the formal workforce is very low. And so if you want to uh, create the dynamic of greater economic prosperity, bringing your women into the workforce and giving them effective jobs, I think I could keep going. I think you sense that this is of interest. So I am committed to uh, this for the benefit of Indonesians and and for our partnership. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that. I think it's also important to point out that um, nations and societies that empower women tend to be more stable um, and, as you point out, have more economic prosperity. So there are very good foreign policy reasons why this is something that we need to embrace and support. Um, Ms. Stone, the Marshall Islands continue to maintain diplomatic relations with Taiwan, but also do a lot of trade in, um, with China. Um, I was disappointed to see that Nauru announced its decision to no longer recognize Taiwan, um, and that Tuvalu is also considering whether it's going to continue to recognize Taiwan. So can you talk about how China views the Marshall Islands? Are they a target for economic and geopolitical influence? Thank you, Senator, for that question. And I know you in particular have been very uh, active in developing strategies and policies to counter China where they are overstepping their their bounds. So thank you very much for that. Um, I agree that the PRC is targeting Taiwan's most vulnerable partners. Uh, and certainly we have an obligation to work with our Taiwan partners to show concrete and actionable value on continued relations with Taiwan. Um, it's certainly something that we're going to be looking at very carefully. And uh, China often overpromises and underdelivers when they're trying to activate these flips. Uh, if confirmed, I commit to working very closely with Taiwan's representatives to communicate our shared democratic values, which is a very valuable thing in democratic uh, RMI, uh, and also our concrete ability to be a true long-term partner to advance the opportunities for the people of Marshall Islands. Um, I also note that we are somewhat hamstrung by the fact that the United States has been lacking uh, ambassador-level diplomatic representation for a while uh, in Majuro, and that um, does hamper our ability to communicate clearly uh, with the government of Marshall Islands the, the need to um, be cautious when dealing with the PRC. So thank you very much. Um, well, thank you. And clearly, when... 
Um, China has a diplomatic presence that is much, um, actually, much broader than the United States right now. Anytime we don't have ambassadors on the ground, it's a real detriment to our national security and foreign policy. Let me also observe that um, I think many of us saw the um, horrific pictures on the news in the last week about the um, impact of climate change and the waves on our base in the Marshall Islands, and the Marshall Islands have really been a leader on trying to raise the concerns about climate change and the impact on small islands and countries like the Marshall Islands. So I hope you will continue to encourage them to speak out and that we will do everything we can to support those efforts. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Kane. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Congratulations to the witnesses. Three topics I want to raise. First, uh, to follow up on Senator Booker on the Gaza humanitarian situation, Mr. Plitt, um, the need for Israel to defend itself against an organization pledged to its destruction is clear. Um, but what we're watching here is, is the effort in Gaza a defense against Hamas or is it a war against Gazans or Palestinians? And, and, and we're looking at the evidence and we look at rhetoric and we look at civilian casualties and we look at humanitarian aid and we look at discussions about the future of Palestinian self-autonomy. And the evidence is troubling in terms of answering the question. It troubles a lot of us. It, it, to me, the clearest bit of evidence where positive changes could make the biggest difference is in the humanitarian space. Civilian casualties because of the way Hamas embeds with civilians, very, very challenging. Um, but the effort to get aid to 2.2 million people who've suffered under Hamas, that would be the quickest way that Israel could demonstrate this is about defeating Hamas. It's not about hurting Gazans or Palestinians. And my colleagues and I have been extremely disappointed about the pace, about the, the uh, quantity of aid. Um, and when we talk to our own you know, U.S. officials in the region, you mentioned Ambassador Satterfield, they're not happy about it either. Things that shouldn't be hard to get agreement on, open the Karem Shalom border crossing, are incredibly difficult. They take way too long, and then that leads to really difficult challenges for 2.2 million people, again, who've largely suffered under Hamas. And so I just want to underline an exclamation point, this notion that humanitarian aid and hostage release, I think, are the two kind of highest priorities in this, and they're connected. Hostage release in the past came with a cessation of hostilities, and that led more humanitarian aid to be able to easily be distributed. So I think the effort on this committee is going to be very focused on this humanitarian aid question, and obviously your role with USAID will put you right in the middle of that. Um, Ms. O'Donnell, I, I just want to say a word about UNESCO. Senator Ricketts asked you the questions about how hard UNESCO's history has been, the double standard applied to Israel, we would want our UN bodies to call out bad behavior if they see it, but the double standard applied to Israel with compared to other nations has been so obvious. And yet, when the U.S. is absent from the institutions like the UN Human Rights Council or UNESCO, it gets worse. When we absented ourselves from these institutions, I had a meeting once with Michelle Bachelet when she was the Human Rights Commissioner, and she said, look, is there a double standard? There's a double standard. It's outrageous. But when the U.S. is 
absent, it gets worse and worse and worse. And when the U.S. comes and is back at the table, it may still not be to our liking. It's, it gets better. UNESCO hosted a conference on anti-Semitism in October, just a few months ago. They wouldn't have done that in the past. They're doing that now. They were Europe was wanting them to do it as well as the United States. But as frustrating as these institutions are and, and do stand strong for our principles and stand strong for support for democratic allies, stand strong for human rights, stand strong with Israel against the double standard, it's probably not going to be to your liking, uh, but your standing strong will move the, the, the center of the dialogue in a, in a better place. So I would encourage you. And then finally, um, Madam Ambassador, I'm, I'm intrigued about, intrigued slash worried about the upcoming elections in Indonesia, just from what I'm reading. So Indonesia has a president who can't run for another term because of term limits. The president's son is running for vice president. The, Indi uh, the Indonesian constitution says presidents and vice presidents have to be 40 years old, but the president's son is 36 years old, and the constitutional court, I, I gather, has rendered a ruling that he is qualified to run for vice president. We have a similar provision in the U.S. Constitution. There's parts of the Constitution, like what is due process, that are vague. What is cruel and unusual punishment? That's vague. But you got to be 35 years old is about the clearest thing in the Constitution. So how am I to understand uh, a constitutional ruling in a nation that has a 40-year-old age limit for VP saying that a 36-year-old meets the qualification? So you, you spoke correctly. Um, the Constitutional Court made a decision. Uh, uh, I am not an expert in Indonesian constitutional law, but there was a decision that allowed uh, the current president's oldest son to run as vice president with the current defense minister. Um, and there has been follow-up. Uh, there is another process where that is uh, investigated, and there was a decision related to that, but that there was also a decision that since this had already happened, that this would continue on. So he is running as uh, vice president. Well, it's it's obviously troubling. I mean, I credit everything you said about the importance of the relationship and even about improvements in the relationship, which I think are notable and, and that should be celebrated. But um, a, a, a nation that would casually cast aside a, a clear constitutional command about who can run and who can't run, we at least that should at least be a red flag for us. And 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 in terms of your priorities, should you be confirmed promoting rule of law and democracy, I think should should climb the ladder. Um, thank you. I agree, Chair. Senator. We asked all of our nominees to be ambassadors. The make advancing human rights and good governance a priority of our missions. In Indonesia, it is clear that we have an ally, but there are certain challenges in regards to accountability in regards to how human rights is handled with their security forces. So um, there are questions that we asked all nominees. I'm going to ask you all to answer them uh, uh, for the record. And they are, do you agree to appear before this committee and make officials from your office available to the committee and designate a staff when invited? Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Do you commit to keep this committee fully and currently informed about the activities under your purview? Yes, Mr. Chairman. 
Yes, Senator Cardin. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Do you commit to engaging in meaningful consultation while policies are being developed, not just providing notification after the fact? Yes. Yes, Senator. Yes, I do, Senator. Yes, Senator. Do you commit to promptly responding to requests for briefings and information requested by the committee and its designated staff? Yes. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Yes, Senator. Well, you answered all those questions right. They did, did a good job. So back again, uh, uh, Ambassador Logder, in regards to uh, Indonesia, the human rights uh, is an issue that we're concerned about with all missions. So we would ask that you keep us informed as to how you're using your position if confirmed to advance American values and respect for human rights in all countries, but particularly as ambassador to Indonesia. Yes, it is the center of our partnership with Indonesia. As I understand it, it is something we raise. Um, I am aware of the the concerns about the security services, both in the past and sometimes currently. So I'm committed to engaging uh, very proactively with the Indonesians and also briefing this committee. Thank you. Mr. Donald, I'm very excited about your background uh, being uniquely situated to deal with the challenges we have at UNESCO. Uh, the second gentleman's been a real leader in fighting anti-Semitism, and I know that you've played a critical role in, in that regard. UNESCO is the only UN agency that is charged with fighting anti-Semitism, particularly uh, and encouraging Holocaust education. So as you've heard a lot of questions here in a defensive mode into what they're doing that's negative, I would hope that you will develop a strategy that it could be a positive force to fight anti-Semitism, particularly with Holocaust education. Thank you, Senator, for that question. And I do, while a lot of um, the attention has been exactly that to, to the negative, I do think it is, it is really important that we think about the ways that we can elevate our national security interests. And that does involve Holocaust education efforts and a whole of society approach to this. Um, Senator Kane mentioned a recent meeting um, in October that UNESCO chaired around anti-Semitism given emerging technologies, given the need for um, reaching people in, in, in various forum, I think there are more and more partners who we can engage in this work. And one of the strengths I bring to the role is coalition building to advance good. I've seen firsthand the power of public-private partnerships. I, since I've been nominated, there have been academic, nonprofit, and other institutions who have reached out to say, "How we are so thrilled you're back. How can we get involved? And I think this, is, this applies to many topics that can advance our affirmative agenda. Uh, and if confirmed, I would be absolutely thrilled and honored to work with you and this committee on these issues and more. On that point, let me yield to Senator Kane. And I just want to say, Senator Cardin, I forgot to mention one thing about UNESCO using the UNHCR as, a, um, as an analog. So we were out of the UNHCR, and our current ambassador is Michelle Taylor, who many of us know. And what she's discovering is she has been able to lobby Human Rights Council members successfully for resolutions that get blocked in the Security Council because of the automatic veto. So she has been able to lobby through the UNHCR human rights resolutions about Russian atrocities in Ukraine, for example, 
that when the Security Council takes them up, that veto is going to be automatic. And so not to not to predict too rosy a, a path for, for Ms. O'Donnell in this position, but the absence of the mandatory veto in some of the UN agencies actually opens up an opportunity for advocacy there that would be automatically blocked in the Security Council. I thank you for that. I've been a, a strong advocate of our multilateral organizations. I have been a representative for the, of the Senate to the United Nations General Assembly. I have been very actively engaged in the OSCE and have taken offices in the OSCE Parliamentary Assembly. I'm engaged with Senator Wicker on the OAS, trying to strengthen uh, the, the, that institution. Uh, the United Nations has had major bias against Israel. We know that. We see that in the Human Rights Council. We see that in UNESCO. It's been pointed out today. But there is so much good it could do, and our leaders need to to make those efforts to try to change the bias that is there. And I agree with Senator Kane. For a long time, we weren't part of the, uh, the Human Rights Council. We weren't part of UNESCO. Uh, I had long conversations with President Obama about the advantages of participation rather than not being at the table. I've had conversations with Israel about U.S. being at the table rather than ceding that uh, by not being participating. I believe in participating, and I believe we can do, do much better not just fighting the discrimination that's been there, but is a positive agenda. So I thank you very much for your comment on that. Mr. Plitt, I'm not going to go through what all my colleagues have said. I agree that we have to do more in regards to the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Uh, it is unacceptable. I recognize the challenges that Hamas has created in that region, and you pointed that out. The, the environment of that war makes it extremely difficult to get an effective uh, supplies that are necessary for the civilian population. So I, 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 you've heard our concerns. We want to work in partnership with you on this, uh, and we'll continue to find ways that we can be more effective. And Ms. Stone, um, Marshall Islands is very important to us. It's uh, very important in our, our concerns about PRC and its influence. It's one of our association, free member associations under COFA. Uh, there's a challenge right now because it's not in that status that is predictable for the future. And I know that you'll hear about that from the people of the Marshall Islands. Uh, and you have one additional challenge on how you're going to deal with a sore spot that we have there on nuclear waste materials that is deposited in the Marshall Islands. So I would just urge you to figure out how you can keep us informed, please, as to how we can strengthen our relationship with our free association partners uh, and deal with some of the areas that are potential to affect that relationship. These are small countries, but incredibly important. They don't get the attention here in Washington, and it's up to you to make sure they get the focus that we need to keep that partnership going. Thank you, Senator. I'm very happy to do that. Thank you. We're going to keep the uh, record open until the close of business tomorrow for members who might have friendly questions that they want to ask you. We would ask that you try to get those answers in as quickly as possible and as completely as possible so that we can move the to the next phase, which is the committee business meeting, uh, to act on your nominations. Senator Kennedy, anything further? With that, the committee will stand adjourned. Thank you all very much.